0: where we interview individuals just like you dealing with their own journey from loss to growth, along with mental health experts, growth guides, all with the purpose of helping you to heal better, improve mind, body, and spirit, and find your new purpose from the loss and the tragedy that you have experienced. Hi, I'm Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, founder and host of this podcast, and I'm a growth evangelist for Growth Through Grief as well as a fellow widower, having lost my beautiful bride of 19 years, Judy, some five years ago, almost to the day. Today, we've got a returning guest. She is by far my favorite guest. Helen, welcome back. Uh,
1: Hi, good to be back. Helen
0: is a licensed mental health counselor. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's a nationally certified counselor with a private practice in my hometown of Winter Park, Florida. As well, Helen is on the board for us here at Growth Through Grief, and she helps guide our practices on all things concerning the mind and mental health. Helen also, unfortunately, has a personal experience with grief and loss as a widow herself. uh, Her husband passed away when her children were only four and six years old. Helen, welcome back. Thank you. Awesome. And today we're here to talk about a topic that... Uh, Every month, I now host a virtual meeting of different widowers, and a common theme that came up there, and also in an in-person meetup that we do here in Winter Park, Helen, the topic of loneliness came up in both of those, and it came up a couple of times in both of these different settings with different widowers bringing it up, and I really wanted to address it because I think it's something that's important. I know I faced it. I know you Certainly faced it after the loss of your husband. When I first lost Judy, I remember experiencing it pretty quickly. You know, I I remember waking up, really, I think that first morning. And all of a sudden, I felt a sense of loneliness immediately and a sense of a, all right, what do I do now (laughs) kind of thing. Talk about how common that is to feel that loneliness, even though it may only be like a day or two or three, to feel it right away.
1: Yeah, it's very common. It's almost as if when you've lost a loved one in that way, like the energy changes in your house. That, that warmth of mm-hmm. a presence and that loving presence is just gone. And it's like being in a, an emotional vacuum for a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. The, the person who you were used to being with, who you were used to feeling in your home is gone. And it has an echoing sense of loneliness to it that's really deeply connected with grief. I you know there are many kinds of loneliness. Brene Brown talks about three different kinds of loneliness, but the loneliness that's that comes with grief is really big at first. Yeah, and
0: I've heard the term attachment bonding, that that's kind of what happens mm-hmm. with our spouse, right? We're used to them being there in our lives. And we're attached to that. There's a big habits that are formed with that. There's this emotional connection that is totally wired into our brain. What is attachment bonding and how does this loss kind of break that important bond and actually break those, those neurons or at least disrupt them? Yeah.
1: Well, attachment bonding is about the attachment style we developed as an infant with our caregivers. Um, there's mm-hmm. secure attachment which means that your your caregiver was there and, and met your emotional and physical needs consistently and so you grow up to be someone who has a healthy self-esteem and and you're able to connect with people you're resilient you're able to navigate through conflict and those kind of things as anxious or um, uh, avoidant attachment um, that's the one where you might grow up with it would be that you didn't have your needs met. It would be inconsistent. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to look at my notes here because I want to make sure I get them all correct. But it, it's it's the one where you um, anxious is more the ambivalent, where you feel like you can't get your needs met. You might be someone might be clingy or um, not be able to trust that mm-hmm. somebody's going to be there meet their needs. Um, then there's the avoidant dismissive, and they're mm-hmm. more sort of your your loners and that's when a caregiver might have not met the needs and might've been neglectful. And um, so the dismissive and avoidant tend to dismiss other people's feelings and they're a bit more autonomous. And and then we have disorganized attachment that comes from trauma. Hmm. So if you've grown up in a lot of trauma and extreme neglect, you're going to have disorganized attachment. So there's a lot of fear because there was no secure base and, Feelings not deserving love so we have all these attachment styles which play a part into how we connect in our relationships anyway and Mm -hmm. When you lose someone you may have a reaction that's based on those kind of attachment styles but also there's the loneliness in connection with grief and loss which is different because
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's like losing sort of the we and returning to just being an I. So you've been navigating through life with a we in every situation. What are we having for dinner? What are we going to watch on television today? What are we going to do for the holidays? What are we going to, what color are we going to paint the house? What are we going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do on the weekend? Are we mowing the lawn or are we going to go to the market you know everything's done a, mm-hmm. a week and now it's simply an I. so you don't have your breakfast buddy your adventure outside of the house your home repair person to do all of that with you so you're doing everything by yourself absolutely everything by yourself and everything by yourself emotionally when there's a big fractured attachment like in a loss What you want is your primary attachment figure, which is your spouse or your partner in the current to help you Mm -hmm. navigate through the painful feelings. And yet paradox is the person who would help you navigate through the difficulties and the painful feelings is the one who's gone. So it's quite profound. It really is.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, There are by the way, assessments that you can take online, I've taken it to do your attachments. Um, so I highly recommend those, and I'll post a link to that in our uh, speaker notes uh, so folks can look that up, because I do think that those elements of how you attach can manifest themselves as you now look to heal and to grow. Um yeah. Fractured attachment yeah. and now going, Helen, from we to me is how mm-hmm. I look at it. Um, me can be really lonely and what exactly is loneliness is there like a, a definition that you as a mental health professional use to well, define I'm, what is loneliness?
1: I, went, I looked it up i looked it up right because i was thinking about what exactly is loneliness after i just muddled my way through that attachment stuff there um no, but, i love it but it talks about social isolation but okay. Brene Brown actually talks about that there are three types of loneliness. There's um the emotional, relational, and collective. And I really okay. like this because when you lose a spouse, you're losing all three. You're losing the emotional attachment, the person that you can talk about your feelings with <laughs> if you're in that kind of relationship. Not everybody has that kind of relationship, right? But but there will at least be some sharing on an emotional level there. And they're your primary relationship. And if you have children, you're bonded in a way as parents in that way too. And then collectively as a family. So there's a, sort of a collective loneliness in that you're no longer a family in maybe that more traditional sense or <laughs> uh, a couple in, in the sense of being a coupleship. And it changes completely your social standing and status. And that's a big change in our culture. Coupleship is viewed one way. Being single is actually viewed sometimes in a marginalizing way, as if Mm -hmm. being single is not the right way to be, as if to be sort of a successful person in this culture, you have to be in a couple. It's sort of set up really in that way. It's not true, of course. It has no bearing on success at all. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people are seen differently if they're single or if they're in a coupleship, which is unfortunate. So when that rapid dissolution of a coupleship is a rapid change of a social position, you're now being seen differently. And the groups that you used to be in, you won't feel connected in the same way because it's you're not a couple anymore you're you're a me right yeah, yeah yeah and that can feel lonely because there's no ability to identify in the same way with your social group yeah and so the, you know in the dictionary it talks about social connection that loneliness is an absence of social connection But again, we know that you can be lonely within a group. You can be lonely within a family. You can be lonely within a relationship or a marriage Mm -hmm. because you don't have maybe the emotional connection that's going on there. But that's a different kind of loneliness when your person is gone.
0: Yeah. I think Brene Brown's, you know, multidimensional aspect to this is a lot better than just the social aspects. Because, Helen, it brought up a a great point Um, celebrating our kids graduation and uh, with yeah. family friends dear family friends um, absolutely were there through all of the the um, messiness of the disease and after that and provided support to me provided support to the family so wouldn't trade these friends for anything but the friends were there for us for big family trips that we took together yeah. up to Michigan and we were always with them as a couple and as a family yeah. and so when I go to hang out with this group, you know, there's one friend couple, there's another friend couple, and then there's me sitting at the table. And you talk about being in a social situation and feeling lonely. You know, Judy used to be the star. At yeah. the, she had all the fun stories of the kids growing up and would share it with the women at the table. And I feel this amazing loneliness, not from them causing it, my friends, but from me inside that, oh, well, my my partner's not here and I, I'm here alone and you're there as couples. And and so you, you start to feel awkward in yeah. some of those friend groups. And many of us as men don't have those individual guy friends. Most of, as we raised our kids and everything else, it became couple friends. And yeah. so I found myself not only in situations like that where the old friend groups, I kind of feel lonely, but then I look to the side and say, okay, well, what about my single or you know widowed or divorced friends, guys, and don't really have very many of those. And, and I think that's not an uncommon situation for many widowers.
1: Yeah, yeah, agreed. And in fact, when you're out with your couple friends, if anything, it shines a light on the absence of two,
0: mm-hmm.
1: makes the loneliness even bigger. Yet here you are with people. Because yeah. it makes the loss more felt at that moment in time, it's really tough. Yeah. And Helen, how did it manifest
0: itself for you? Did you have any similar experiences?
1: Yeah. You know, um, I missed so much the warmth of David's presence, and having someone to joke with, you know, in our in our marriage, we had all these stupid funny things we do, you know, impressions we do with each other, just those little things that are the love maps of,
0: mm-hmm. of
1: your partner that you're with, the silly dances we do, all those kind the of things. The bear
0: dance, right? Yeah,
1: the bear dance, exactly. <laughs> and all these little intimate things that we had years of connection and doing. And to have an absence of that was just like, it was like living in an echo chamber. And so what I did was I just turned to my kids a lot and I focused on my kids, mm-hmm. um, which is not always the healthiest thing to do. And, you know, cause that can turn you into a helicopter parent. If, mm-hmm. if you're taking your loneliness and now making it all about your children, then there's a chance that you're going to be over-involved in your children. I think for a period of time, I was over-involved in their feelings and what they were going through and, um, I got some help with that. So I was able to back off a bit with that, which was good. But when you have young children in particular, it's not easy to leave them after that kind of loss and go out and socialize. And I certainly wasn't going to bring someone home to the house. I was very reluctant to do that because of safety. And just um, so I spent a lot of time um, being single is what I did I Mm spend a lot of time being single. (laughs) Um, I think there are particular times and events where the loneliness is more than it is at other times it's holidays it's family get-together times it's special occasions it's donuts with dads muffins with moms at school it's every mother's day every father's day every birthday it's those times that really can rocket up the loneliness and we need to acknowledge that those times are difficult for a lot of people anyway even if you're not feeling lonely through loss <laughs> in general and then i have a particular Particular uh, Part for people who have lost family members and spouses through COVID because it has accentuated loneliness to a level that is just way beyond so excruciatingly painful because people weren't able to be out and around others at all mm-hmm. and were restricted. It's just an exceedingly difficult time because I know you talked with Chris about he lost his wife during that time, right? Absolutely. So difficult. And how to go
0: on lockdown. Yeah. And so many
1: yeah. Um, yeah.
0: that listen in, they had to have yeah. they had that experience where it was a double loss. They lost mm-hmm. their spouse, some of them to COVID and then yeah. found themselves isolated, you know, Completely up isolated. without any and physical connection, emotional connection, all of that.
1: Yeah. And loneliness leads to depression. It does. Mm-hmm. So it's we are designed as human beings to need human contact and if even if you're an introvert and it's it's one person every so often versus an extrovert which is a little more i'm more extroverted i think you are too tom then Mm -hmm. um you know is we're designed that way One thing I did want to point out with that loneliness, we talked about attachment and attachment styles. And so the fractured Mm -hmm. attachment after losing a spouse, what you can see is somebody who has maybe an anxious attachment, they may go out and find a relationship and get very involved Mm -hmm. in that relationship as a way to regain that attachment. And that doesn't always work out in a way to negate the loneliness. And then Mm -hmm. with our avoidance, Crowd, there. I'm a little more, a little. I can be a bit like that. I like I don't need a relationship. I'm fine by myself. I'm on Helen Island over here. I'm autonomous, and I am. You know, I'm independent. But that's basically because I'm scared shitless to get into a relationship, right? Because <laughs> I don't want to lose it again. You know, I finally attached to someone, and now I'm not going to go through that and lose that again. Kind of point of view. So would we'll, we can see. Around loneliness, the attachment styles uh, playing out pretty significantly.
0: Yeah. and Helen, that's where I think understanding it and doing some homework on it is good. Mm-hmm. So take the test to understand your attachment style. And sure enough, and I don't think this is a surprise to you from some of our personal conversations, I am an anxious attachment mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sure enough, what did I do when I was lonely? sought out a relationship pretty darn quick, quick right too quick and i think there's a lot of widowers that do fall into that um mindset you know they're they feel helpless they feel lonely right away and they want that nurturing they want that um attachment and unfortunately they get into relationships and so many are moving in within eight nine months married within the first year and unfortunately, the failure rates for those relationships are extremely high. You're not yeah. ready. Uh, the person who you're with may not be ready for who you are at that point, And then ultimately the healed person on the other side. And so um, definitely not uh, definitely understanding that and definitely understanding kind of that you're attaching out of anxiousness and not out of a secure attachment mm-hmm. could be really helpful.
1: I I think, too, our homes have changed so much when when you've had a loss that it can be very difficult to even be at home (laughs) because it is 100 percent a reminder of who's not there. And I know people who've had losses who couldn't even bear to be at home or couldn't sleep in their own bed anymore and had to sleep on the couch or just couldn't even go and sit in a certain part of the house or outside because it's just so incredibly painful and so incredibly lonely for them. And, you know, time is helpful, but getting a group and a connection with a group like the group of men that you have is so important. Having those similar experiences to talk about, people who've been through it and who understand maybe not completely the same way that you're experiencing it, but can understand that helps alleviate the loneliness in the experience. There's loneliness around not having the person anymore. And then there's the emotional loneliness, loneliness and the experience of of a loss that is so profound. So super important to get connected.
0: Yeah. And I do think what you're saying is, you know, you've got to take, first of all, I think gaining an understanding of your attachment style, definitely good. Starting to categorize some of your loneliness and then going and taking some steps to maybe overcome some of that loneliness is important. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that, uh, because I know that many of the folks on the phone uh, and you know who are listening to us, um, they don't want to be in this lonely state forever. They don't want to go out and have an unhealthy relationship. They want to do this the right way. Helen, yeah. what is the right way? And I know everyone is so different, but let's mm-hmm. talk about maybe some techniques to overcome the loneliness. One of them you mentioned mm-hmm. is peer support, right? Yeah. Getting together with a yeah. widower brother or a widow sister and talking it out. Um, talk about that first.
1: Yeah, and so that's great because these are the people, these are the tribe, right? Mm-hmm. That really get what loss and loneliness is like and it's about and they're the ones that you know that you can talk about how you're feeling over and over and over again and you don't have to worry about whether you're becoming annoying or a downer because so often i hear i just don't want to talk to my friends about it anymore i'm sure they're sick of hearing it i don't want to be a downer in the party but most of the time we're not downers for other people people have a lot of empathy and their wells run really deep, but we do know with each other, we can talk about as much as we want, cry about it as much as we want, get angry about it as much as we want. And, and we'll have a, a an attentive ear
0: mm-hmm.
1: and an understanding ear. So that's really important. And then there's, um, you know, trying things that you may have wanted to try getting that courage to go and take a pottery class or go axe throwing or find a meetup group that's going to go hiking and go uh, to that meetup group that takes a lot of courage and not everybody is able to do that especially those who may have social anxiety um may have a difficult time they're more introverted and don't have um the same confidence in socially connecting. So that can be difficult. So, you know, get into an online D&D group or find a way to connect that works for you. And it can be online at first. That's OK. We Do need in-person connection. That's going to be very important. But you can take it slowly. Mm-hmm. You can kind of put a toe in the water out there and, and go to a meetup or go to church, go to um, a singles event, go to some kind of group, any kind of social activity, go to something at the library that yeah. they have going on. I go think, and hang out and talk yeah, out.
0: Yeah, an important thing for the introverts, and talk about this a little bit, because I'm a little bit more, I can be introverted, but, you know, extroverted all the same. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't empathize completely mm-hmm. or, and understand completely. Um, Maybe just getting out to a coffee shop, even if you're yeah. just talking to the barista and then just sitting at the table and doing your work or something else. Go out yes. to the gym, even if you got earbuds in and you're on the elliptical. Yeah. It, it's kind of just getting out now that we can into those social environments. You don't have to necessarily interact. But I did find that that broke some of my loneliness. Like there were days where I didn't feel like talking to anyone. I didn't want to. Yeah. I wanted to kind of be inside my own head and work some things out for myself. But I felt still that getting out to the coffee shop and getting out to the gym and getting out and socializing, not interacting, but still getting out in social situations was really helpful. Is that true? Is that a good recommendation?
1: That's a great recommendation. And it is so true because then you don't feel alone. Mm -hmm which helps with the loneliness. You know, sometimes it's okay to be alone. I like to be alone. There are times when I crave being alone, but not at first. That wasn't how I felt. So being around people when you have an empty house can be really important. So it's a great strategy, taking work to the coffee shop, reading a book at the coffee shop. I would go out to eat with my book. Mm-hmm. You know, if the kids were busy or doing something else and, you know, I'd go and take my book and i go out to eat because I just wanted to be around people because it gave me a sense of connection, but I wasn't necessarily talking to someone. So I love that, that's a great strategy.
0: Yeah, table for one though, can sometimes feel lonely, right? So mm-hmm. a strategy that I use with that is sit at the bar. Um, many exactly. food shops have yes. a bar, Many restaurants the bar is the fun place to be anyway and you still don't have to interact but the bartender's there and they'll be attentive to you and it is a social environment and then if you do like to interact what better place with people coming and going a little bit
1: yeah that's a great suggestion i'm not a sit at the bar kind of person so i always as long as i have something else to do i was okay so a book is the way way to go for me in that
0: and then you spoke about the clubs, which I absolutely love, you know, finding a group of people that have a common interest in going to do that. Uh, here in yeah. town, there's like a local paddleboard group that I went out to a couple of times to meet people. And then for me, one of the big things that I continue to this day, and I love this, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm probably going to have some of the people on, is I go to Cycle Bar and do a spinning group exercise mm-hmm. class. And they're like a second family to me. And they were open pretty quick after COVID and were slow to shut down in the beginning. And so I I miss that family when it was shut down. And now that it's back, I mean, they're friends that I've had for now a long time. And we only see each other at Cycle, but I feel like they're part of my family. Uh, Yoga works the same way. The same people I see at the Y working out every morning. And you start to become friendly with those people it doesn't have long interactions but it's social
1: yeah exactly it's great you've got your pods right yeah your your pods and cycle pod the yoga pod the coffee shop pod it's wonderful it's great so putting yourself in proximity helps with loneliness and gives you the opportunity to create new and more uh friendships (laughs) i was very very blessed because my neighborhood, fantastic community. So I had a lot of friends and I had a lot of friends that leaned in Mm -hmm. and I got invited to a lot of, of social events, a lot of dinners, a lot of game nights, a lot of those kind of things, which which was really great, but it kind of went away the after six months. Mm -hmm. And I think confined that after six months, when it's sort of calming down a little bit, as in, I call it the business of death of having to get Mm -hmm. through everything and get the logistics. And now you've turned this ship into, now you're getting into your routine by yourself and, and then a lot of that support drifts away and now you're really left to deal with being alone. Mm -hmm. Because everybody has lives, everybody's getting on with everything, Mm -hmm. and that can feel even more lonely than the initial loneliness of that initial loss. And that's when it's really important to take some action and really start saying yes, even though you want to stay no. We have to talk a little bit about creating loneliness for ourselves by Mm self-isolating those messages you know self-esteem can take a hit with this kind of loss uh you know feeling not wanted feeling left out of feeling on the outside of the groups not belonging anymore being the the different one dealing with the pity eyes you know, wanting to be just a person versus the one who whose wife died who or whose husband died just you know and so they're can lead people to self isolate and feel lonely as a result, because they don't want to go out there and they don't want to maybe be asked how they're doing and then have tears come up and be flooded with tears, which no happens. It really Mm -hmm. does happen. So they start to avoid being around people as a way to avoid feelings. And that can really enhance that loneliness. Yeah.
0: I completely agree with that. And really just trying to get the courage up and stop the negative thoughts around that, your automatic negative thoughts that come to mind when it comes to socialization and feeling bad for yourself. You know, just try to suck it up and get out there. Totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, if anybody comes to CFS, either you or I or Cam or (laughs) Manaz or anybody are going to be talking to them, right? So all the the introverts need to go to CFS. (laughs) (laughs) Which <laughs> yeah, is all over and went apart because somebody there is gonna to talk to you.
0: Yeah. Sure. And there's so there's a
1: great community coffee shop. I,
0: I completely agree with that. And you know, there's a lot of people that have experienced loss and experienced different things that all of a sudden you'll find out, you know, wow, I didn't realize, you know, Russ that you lost both your parents together and right. you know, or or you helen i didn't know in the beginning in fact after several conversations that you were a widow um and so all of a sudden you have these empathetic conversations with folks that you wouldn't normally Mm -hmm. meet and i know those with social anxiety it can be really really tough to get out and get out there um talk a little bit one of the um challenges that came up in one of the meetings that a, a gentleman was having was you know he almost always says, inflicts loneliness on himself. And I know I'm not going to word this right. um, Because he doesn't feel like he should be out having fun or experiencing Mm -hmm. life because why should he? His wife doesn't have that opportunity anymore. And, And... You know, why should he go on and he have the fun and he go out and be socializing or doing joining a club or doing this or doing some of the things that they would have normally done together? Talk about that loop a little bit that sometimes we get ourselves into because
1: this isn't uncommon. No, it's not. You're talking about survivor's guilt is the term for it. So that I shouldn't be here because they're not here. And Mm -hmm. um, it, it is a cognitive dissonance right? Mm-hmm. Because that's not true. Sometimes asking someone, would your wife want that for you would mm-hmm. be helpful? Or what would she say? Well, she'd want me to go down to the coffee shop and, and, and have a good time. She would, she'd want me to grab a buddy and go and play golf. Ah, yeah. So knowing that that's what she would want for you, can you give yourself a little bit of what she might want for you can you give that to yourself and that can help someone shift a little um i don't know how long how much time has gone with that loss but sometimes it takes some time for someone to start choosing to live again because there is that piece that when the spouse dies it feel like part of us has died. And many people have felt like they've wanted to die too, because it's so painful. And they can't contemplate living life without this person. And there are some stages in this because, you know, they can't contemplate living life without this person. And then okay, so here I am, I have to stay because I'm not gonna choose to leave it, but I can't contemplate living life and experiencing any kind of happiness or joy without that person. Mm -hmm. That just feels wrong, it Mm -hmm. seems wrong, it's not okay. Um, And sometimes this is particularly in connection with people who don't have children in the home or don't have children at all because it takes away sort of the main person and there's nobody left. Mm -hmm. And so that can, there can be a correlation there. And so then there can be a shift into, okay, well, maybe I can take my dog for a walk, or I'm going to get together with my cousin. and But it really can take a long time for someone to feel like, number one, they have the capacity to feel joy, and they can feel joy without feeling guilty that this person's not here to feel it with them.
0: Yeah. Uh, so one of the things, Helen, that I purposely went and did, and it took me quite a while to do this, was I really realized that, look, the couple friends were still important in my life and I'm still connected Mm -hmm. to them, but I still did get those feelings of loneliness and it wasn't quite as deep as I needed. And so one of the things that I did was I created some guy groups Mm -hmm. and I actually went and sought that out. And I think as men, we've kind of lost those guy groups in a lot of ways. Um, You've seen our group, the the guys group where we go out and just do cars and cars and chai on the weekends Mm -hmm. as one of the groups. This is in addition to the widower's group. Um, And it kind of gives me that guy to guy connection that I think we so desperately need nowadays. We don't have statistics show women have that friend that they confide in for health issues, for sadness, for financial issues, for whatever the challenges might be. They usually percentage wise, 70, 80, 90 percent will indicate they have one or two friends that they can confide in with all of these different elements Mm -hmm. in their life. And as guys, I can tell you that up until probably a year ago, I had very few that I could confide in in any of those areas. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about the importance of maybe getting out there and doing that to finding those guys that you can hang out with. And have that mm-hmm. guy time outside of the couple time that you used to have those old couple
1: friends. Yeah, so I think guy time comes in a couple of different forms. You've got your clean cars and dirty chai group, right, which is one kind of guy time, and then um, you've got your your widows group, mm-hmm. widows group, and uh, you know, men are acculturated into. Seeing feelings or emotions as womanly, and therefore, you know, not good. Mm-hmm. You know, men were raised to not feel like they were associated with women because women, you know, through sexism and misogyny, are considered sort of not the ideal
0: mm-hmm. weaker, maybe, yeah,
1: right, weaker, yeah. and and any kinds of emotions or feelings. Uh, outside of anger, considered vulnerable and Mm -hmm. uh, feminine. Mm -hmm. So what I love about what you're doing with your group is you are normalizing the truth of the situation, which is all feelings are normal. Mm -hmm. Let's get some support in and have some conversations about what it's really like. And to do it without shaming or putting these narrow gender-based cultural standards onto people
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and and you're pioneering that which I love that you're doing that because it's so important and we are seeing a shift really actually you know collectively and culturally in more of a swing towards men being able to just be fully human instead mm-hmm. of having to be this locked yeah. into this little tiny box of non-emotional don't cry don't do this don't do that make money that's your job that's your role you're not a man you're not a real man unless you're this way
0: Mm
1: -hmm. women have their own box too but i'm so glad that you're pioneering breaking out of that and being able to be authentic and congruent because there's nothing worse in feeding loneliness Going to a group of people and acting like everything's okay when it isn't and then going home and now you not only have your loneliness that you left with, but this like dissatisfaction around the experience. Yeah. And the feeling like you just having to pretend to be Mister Fucking Sunshine, or yeah. Mr. You've Sunshine. got this mask
0: on, right? And and so John Thurman and I had that session on masks for just that reason, because a lot of times men we've got to put those masks on. The other it's thing
1: exhausting the guys,
0: it it's is exhausting. It is exhausting. Yeah, so many men when you ask them, they'll admit, I'm tired. And, and mm-hmm. this was me for a while through the illness and through everything else. And it wasn't Judy's fault that I was tired. And it wasn't even the illness's fault. It was the freaking masks I had to have on yeah. to be stoic, to be non-emotional. You know, And that was my fault. I, I was not letting myself be vulnerable. And so I wasn't true to myself. And that inauthenticity, mm-hmm. that, that dissonance, um, mm-hmm. that incongruity that you mentioned was why I was exhausted all the time sure there were the sleepless nights and the care and everything else but it was really around the incongruence to between who i was inside and then what i was portraying outside yeah. one of the other things too with the male groups is is it's not about you know the toxic masculinity and being like over the top masculine like we're a car group but when we right. get together we're talking about our emotions a lot of times we're yeah. talking about our relationships and and we're trying to have these frank discussions that many of us has been a long time since we've had those with other guys
1: and now that we don't have our it spouse,
0: happens. yeah now and now that i know for me i didn't have judy to go back to to talk to anymore it was really important for me to replace that not with another woman in my life who i could still have discussions with but mm-hmm. with guy friends That I could kind of build that up and those relationships, so that it was these healthy attachments across all these different dimensions. And and I hope everyone's hearing that, you know, this it didn't occur overnight. All of these things, you know, I'm five years in. You know, it's a process. I didn't really work on these male connections until maybe a year ago, if that. Um, But that it was also purposeful, and that I looked for these gaps in my life and said if in order to grow, I need to have not just one dimension of relationships and get involved with a woman so deeply that she was the only one in the center of my life. I needed to have these multiple dimensions of relationships in my yeah. life. And that's actually created healthier relationships when when and if I am in a relationship with a woman.
1: Yeah, because you have this good diversity in your connections. I think, you know, one of the things is leaning into the social structures that we have in place, which for me were around my kids, you know, school, okay. PTA, those kind of things. So if there's something in your life that supports that, leaning into it, whether it's work and social events in connection with work or for you, know, I think church sure. was one, you got back mm-hmm. to, right? And then your girls were a bit older, but you still would have been very present in what was going on with them. So those are already there. Try not to avoid it. Just lean into getting those connections as you can. What I love about the Cars and Chai group, Tom, is I love the diversity in um, emotions in there. You have a group. Uh, of men who, you know, someone may be brand new at expressing emotions in there and might be a new kind of experience for them to come and chat with a group of guys and talk about feelings. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have you and a couple of others who are very much uh, emotionally in tune and now comfortable with expressing their feelings. And you're role modeling and creating this safe space for other men to express their feelings too, which is great. Yeah. If you
0: want other guys to share, I found the best way to do that, and I learned this from my friend Chris, who I've also interviewed, uh, he did it. He shared some things that, gosh, I wouldn't share unless I knew someone, you know, for years. Um, He was sharing it openly, and he taught me just how powerful that could be, because after he shared, I wasn't afraid to share anymore. And so a lot of times I think we're afraid to share because we don't want to appear weak, but it's like people are wanting these kind of deep connections. And I found that every time I do openly share, it surprises me just what I get back. And I get back so much more from a sharing perspective and such openness and it takes the relationship to that next level. So be vulnerable. I know it's tough, put yourself out there and I think you'd be surprised as Mm -hmm. long as it's in that safe environment. You know to that, how much other people will open up with you and how deeper those connections can get pretty quickly. Because none of these groups are that old, but I really feel like we're old dear friends, even though we haven't, yes, you know, we're just getting to know each other in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Pets, let's lighten it up a little bit, Helen. Yes, Loneliness, one of the best ways to cure that are pets. You've met my Ruby. I yes. take her up to clean cars and dirty chai sometimes. Yes. Um, Uh, I don't know where I'd be without her. When the girls left to go away to college, the Mm -hmm. house was really lonely, but Ruby was always there to encourage me to take a walk and get the heck out of the house. Pets, can they help?
1: Very much so. Really great. They can really give somebody a reason to get up in the morning. And you know, getting those snuggles, having the routine of needing to care for someone outside of yourself can help motivate you to take care of yourself. If it's a dog, getting out on a walk, going to the dog park, meeting people. I go to the dog park every Sunday morning. There's this whole group of people that get together in the small dog park at Lake Baldwin. Yeah. I know all these people now, these really cool people, all these different (laughs) people I wouldn't normally have met. I'm now like Facebook friends. We've got our own Facebook group for the small dogs. And yeah, it's really cool. So that's a great connector right there. A connector for one's heart and for (laughs) feeling loved. A connector for for responsibility and a connector to, to connect with other people as well so super important.
0: Excellent. And then you mentioned Facebook groups and some other groups. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've got social anxiety and you're worried about me- meeting people in person, do those help?
1: Having yes, online
0: groups? Yeah.
1: Yes, very much so. And, and that's a really good place to start, especially if someone's not ready to go on out and and connect and do it individually. Really yeah. great.
0: Awesome. Helen, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our widowers, our growth warriors with today about loneliness?
1: Yeah, I think it's the the cure to loneliness lies in taking action to be around others Mm -hmm. and being willing to override the, oh, I don't have it in me. You want to feed the interaction; don't feed the loneliness.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that could be a reinforcing loop. So it does take effort to break it. Um, we've yeah. all been there. I know, Helen, you've been there. I've been there. There were days where it's like uh, I just don't want to face the world. You know, I just yeah. don't. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to go to the coffee shop. I don't want to go to the gym and see anybody. I just want to mm-hmm. be here and. Yeah. And and there are going to be days like that. And sometimes that'll happen. But if every day is like that, the loneliness will just keep building and building. And then, as you said, it leads to that clinical depression. Depression. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't want to see any of our widowers fall into that. So if you're in that mode, the way to break it is you just, you know, get out there, take a couple of steps. Could be with social online groups in the beginning. Um, Could be Get out to the coffee shop get out to what a, maybe low
1: interaction
0: social events and then passive
1: interaction with your book your computer you're around people even if you don't want to talk with them
0: yeah exactly and then certainly if you're an extrovert and you know get out there to join the group to do the hobbies do those things that um you've wanted to do and i think a big thing for me was diligently particularly these last 12 months and um Starting at the beginning of last year, but certainly this whole year, it was I I flat out set a goal, get outside of my comfort zone in as many things as possible. Mm -hmm. So for me, doing yoga, doing Pilates, uh, joining a rock band, which is another group Mm -hmm. of guys that I hang (laughs) out with now, um, you know, it's the things where it was like, you know, I probably wouldn't have done those things a couple of years ago. And you can set up these goals to kind of get out there and break the loneliness. And it is in your control to do that. There are plenty of people who are dying for social interaction with you, you know, really wanting that. And and they're looking for connections. And you've got so much to offer because of your life experiences. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing I think that I realized through this is like my brokenness is now one of my biggest gifts, you know? Mm that it's it's kintsugi gold joined it is my beauty not my you know my ugliness and and i used to hold it as like wow i'm broken you know when i hang out with these couple groups i'm the broken one in the group I'm, i'm less than and that's not the case i'm actually in a lot of ways now because i can share because i have these emotions i i actually feel like i've got more to give not less yeah Helen, thank you so much. This has been great. And I know it's gonna be really helpful for all of the widowers out there. Um, Thank you again. You're welcome, Tom. Thank you everyone for listening to Growth Through Grief podcast. If you liked this session with Helen and I, please hit the like button, subscribe, so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. We're gonna have Helen back for several more topics that we've got lined up. And I'm so thankful for all her contributions and all her help. Stay up to date on the latest episodes by subscribing. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing.